All right, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 this morning. We started a study about a month ago, working our way through the book of Exodus. We're in chapter 3 this morning. I'm excited about it. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, you need one. It's kind of how we roll here at Riverstone Chapel. Um, we study through Scripture because we believe God's Word is that important. So uh, there's a bin of them up here. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can come grab one. Uh, nobody licked them, so you probably won't get COVID from them, just in case you're wondering. Uh, next week, if you show up here, you're going to be by yourself, or you'll be with the other people that don't listen to announcements. And we don't do a lot of announcements, so if you're like, I didn't hear the announcement, like, that's on you, because we don't do the kind of announcements that you just check out on. Next week is Memorial Labor Day weekend, right? Labor Day? I get Memorial and Labor confused. Labor Day weekend. It doesn't matter. You don't have school on Monday. That's all you need to know, kids, right? And we are having church in the park on that weekend. So we're going to do a barbecue, a little food after, church in the park, our normal spot on the North Shelter, which the north-south thing at Manitou Park gets confusing because uphill is south. But anyway, the north shelter is like the lower elevation part that we usually are at by the playground with the shelter over it. North shelter, Manitou Park, 10 o'clock. So don't forget that. It's going to be on the website. You'll probably get an email that you won't read this week. Uh, that was passive-aggressive, I know, on purpose. And uh, we'll see you there. If you show up here, we'll have a sign on the door that says, you didn't listen very well. And so you'll end up joining us there. And go ahead and show up late. Nobody will care. It'll be awesome. So next week, Church in the Park, let's do it. There was also some consternation last week because we announced the women's retreat and didn't say anything about the men's retreat. Uh, there is a men's retreat. It's coming up. It's on the website. You give me a thumbs up, like you want to make an announcement or you just want me to keep going? Yeah, Donnie, give him a hand. I feel like the price is right right now. Woo! Good morning, guys. Um, if you haven't heard already, we do have a men's retreat coming up at the end of September on the 29th through October 1st, which is a Thursday night through a Saturday morning. If you haven't registered, there's only six spots left. If you're not in one of those six and you still want to come, bring a tent or make a buddy because they're twin beds. Um, <laughs> yeah, head to tail. We can do it. Um, no, we won't do that. But uh, yeah, if you're interested and you have any questions, there's going to be lots of activities. You know, there's a lot of sports going on. There's rumors of glow in the dark, capture the flag or something like that, that Chris has planned. So if you have any more questions, um, you can ask me. We don't have a slide anymore. Um, you can register online on our website. Find me or the other guy in a blue and white striped shirt in the back, Chris. Um, you can ask him and then we'll fill you in on any details and we hope to get this thing filled up quick. We're closing registration as soon as those six spots are full. So please sign up quick. Yeah. That sounds like fun. Grown men running around in the dark. What could go wrong there? Without our wives to tell us it's a bad idea. It's going to be great. All right. We've spent uh, a couple weeks now in Exodus, and we've spent a lot of time talking about the idea that the goal of God, not only in history, but especially in the book of Exodus, is to produce a people. Okay? We talked a lot about that. It's like the end of this book, there's going to be a people of God. 
which had not existed on the planet before. There's been individuals that God has spoken to, but at the end of this, God is going to look at this nation and be like, these are my people. And so um, we talked a lot about some of the ideas surrounding that when we started the book, the idea that they are saved from something and saved for another thing. And this is a big deal to us because as we continue on through your Bible, we realize that Jesus also intended to produce a people. He didn't leave an institution primarily. He didn't leave a idea, book, right? He didn't leave a building for sure, right? Jesus said, go make disciples. He was leaving a people on this earth who would follow him. And so watching how God goes about producing a people in the book of Exodus is so formative for us because we desire to be a people. That's what we're trying to be uh, here in 2022. So anyway, so far in our study, we saw in chapter one, this producing of a people started with two simple women being obedient to the call of God in their current situations. Nothing crazy, just two women doing what God had put in front of them to do. Then we spent two weeks looking at Moses and we talked about the people that Moses had in his life, the, the types of people that were walking by faith and living with integrity and the types of stories that Moses was told and how that produced in Moses the type of character that was not okay with his people being in captivity and believed God could do something. And so Moses starts life with a strong conviction that the people of God should be set free. And those are the things we find God doing to produce a people who are his people. So we're going to jump in, uh, continuing on with the story of Moses. Chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. If you don't remember from last week, that's okay. Uh, Moses has been raised in the palace for the first 40 years of his life. He walked out one day, saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Moses was Hebrew uh, and ended up killing that Egyptian. Uh, then it was found out that he killed that Egyptian, so he took off and he ran to Midian, which is kind of the northwest corner of Saudi Arabia. So that's on the eastern edge or eastern shore of the Red Sea there. Um, and so he's been hiding out there away from Egypt in the desert for about 40 years when we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 3. Here we go. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, page 27, if you got a white or a blue Bible that we gave you. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet to the place which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to a place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That's as far as we're going to get this morning. I had intended to get farther, but I'll explain why in a second. But we end kind of that passage with God saying, I'm going to bring my people out 
And so like I said at the beginning of this, we're watching this process of God producing a people. And actually, the Bible uses a couple different words when it talks about like uh, ways that God goes about things. And I really love this idea of kind of the agricultural picture that it talks about God interacting with humanity. And it's this idea of like tending and growing like crops and that kind of thing. And the word the Bible uses sometimes when it talks about how God interacts with people is cultivating, right? And God is here cultivating a people, right? I just love that word because it feels super like hands-on and like tender and care. And somebody who's cultivating something is doing something in the right measure and at the right time and for the right reasons, right? You're trying to produce fruit, but you're not in a hurry. And you're just like doing the right thing when it needs to be done. And those are the things that we find God doing to produce the people who are his people. He's cultivating a people. When you think of someone who's cultivating like a farmer or something, they're not erratic. They're not like, well, let's try this and see what happens. No, they know what they're doing, right? They're patient. They're not freaking out. They understand it's going to take patience and time and, and appropriate measures and things like that. And so with that picture in mind, so far in the cultivation of his people, God started with the people who trusted him. This trust produced people of integrity, people with conviction. This grew into a community with a legacy passed down of being a people who live lives of trusting in God and a people who act like they believe God is as good as they say he is. That's surprisingly sparse in the world today. Who people, when people live like God is as good as they actually say he is. And Here's the question. There's actually something here. I, there's like a misunderstanding of what it means to be the people of God that people get wrong a lot. And I'm going to ask a question to kind of get at this heart. Here's the question. What's missing in the first three chapters of Exodus that we would usually expect to find if we were talking about the people of God? Like what's not in here? Like, there's something missing that most people would expect to be in here. So what is it? What is not here that we would expect to be in here? If God is going, yeah, church is, that's not there. You're right, because church hasn't existed yet because Jesus hasn't died on the cross. But if God is going to produce a people, what would we expect him to start with? Most people in this world would expect God to start with rules, Right? The identity of the people of God, like if you ask somebody, like, what's it mean to be a Christian? Like, I follow the rules. There's no rules in here. We're three chapters in. There's not one thou shalt, no thou shalt not. And yet we have a people of God. We have a people of God, no list of rules to follow. Think about that for a second, right? Not one single rule this far in the book. And that's a really big deal because when we think about what it means to be the people of God, many people expect that a particular list of rules to follow is foundational to being the people of God. And that's just not in your Bible. That never has been in your Bible. Like if I asked you, what does it mean to be the people of God? Most people would start with some sort of rule, a rule about a thing they should do or shouldn't do, a rule about an activity they should engage in or a rule about activity they shouldn't engage in, a rule about things they think they should say they believe, right? There's none of those rules so far in this story of God producing his people. And I'm just pointing out we're three chapters in, no rules. I think it's important to think through what's happening here and the timeline of events, because that can speak to you really powerfully if you think about it. 
When you're receiving the grace of God and becoming the people of God, think about this. God hears his people's cry. We already read that, right? We read that in this chapter. God sees the, his people's suffering. God knows of their hardship. God is filled with compassion. God has begun to work for their redemption, and they have not yet followed one single rule on his behalf. Let that sink in for a second. God is meeting his people, working on their behalf, before they did one single thing for him. That's a big deal because that means the identity of God's people predates the rules. So you can, the rules aren't even written yet. So they can't follow them. So you being part of the people of God cannot primarily be about following the rules. And lots of people make the core of their identity as the, I'm a person of God because I follow the rules. We just don't find it in here. There's a temptation to think you got to clean yourself up and start doing all the things you think you should be doing or all the things you know you should be doing for God to love you. Or even worse, you look across the way and you're like, that person needs to get cleaned up and start doing the things that I think they should be doing before I will accept them and then God will accept them. Maybe let that sink in for a second because it's an incredible gift that God would hear the cry of his people, know their suffering, be filled with compassion, and begin working for their salvation before they ever did one obedient thing for him. Later on in your Bible, it will describe the same idea and it will say, while we were far off, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He just, like, that's the gospel. Like, it's already being modeled in the way God is doing things. You cannot now, nor has it ever been possible to earn the affection of God by following the rules. And your identity as one of the people of God is not primarily because of the rules you follow. And I'll continue to point it out as we go through the book. But the Ten Commandments isn't until Exodus chapter 20. The Passover lamb is going to be slain in Exodus chapter 13. So the lamb gets slain before the rules are followed. Just maybe let that sink in. If deep down in your heart you think that following the rules is necessary to get God to be merciful to you, I'm telling you, the Bible shows us that's just out of order from the way God works. God's love for you is not dependent on your following of the rules, and that's why we call it amazing grace, not dependent grace. It might be amazing. We'll see how you do, right? That's not it. Like, he has extended his love towards you before you did one thing for him. So God is cultivating this people. He needs to find a leader for his people. Where does God go to find the type of leader he needs? Where do you find leaders? You go to the top, right? Who's killing it? Who's successful? Who's already leading? That's where you go. Where's ZipRecruiter when you need it, right? Let's look at some resumes and find the best one. That's actually not where God goes at all. Look at verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So like I said earlier, we'll find out later when we start doing math and stuff that Moses is about 80 years old when this story takes place. So he spent the first 40 years of his life in Egypt and then murdered a man, had to flee so he wouldn't be executed. And now he spent 40 additional years in the desert of Midian, which, like I said, northwest Saudi Arabia area. So at this point, he's 80 years old, out in the desert, shepherding his father-in-law's flock. So not only does God not go to the top to find his leader, he goes to the bottom, the bottom of the bottom. I don't know if you know this. How many shepherds we got in here? 
Yep, that's kind of what I expected. Shepherding is a young man's game, right? In other parts of the scripture, when we see shepherds out in the field, it's like the youngest of the young, right? If you remember the story of King David, like his family's like, where's that young kid? It's like, oh yeah, he's out being the shepherd, right? So shepherding was something you hired somebody to do, your lowest servant would do. Like, just go make sure the sheep don't get killed, please. Your youngest son, you're like, you're eight, go ahead, right? Like, it was one of those, you shouldn't be 80 shepherding. That says something about Moses right there. Like, you should have your own flock right now. Moses does not have his own flock. He's still watching somebody else's sheep. And that's where God goes to find his leader. It's not the leadership success story you would expect to find behind the man who God will use to be this great leader of men. Not only has Moses not been a success thus far in his life, he's kind of been a giant failure. He was raised in the palace in Egypt, the most powerful dynasty on the earth at the time. Started at the top, now he's at the bottom. He didn't work his way up, he fell, right? So this is not a man the world would consider a great leader, and yet this is where God finds the man he intends to use. And since we're talking about how old Moses is right now, I did want to point out that Moses' life is going to be defined by the final third of his life. That just seems like a giant disconnect between what we read in history about how God uses people and how we live our lives in 2022. Like, we don't do much with the final third of our lives in this culture. You realize that? Like, the message is kind of like, if you play your cards right and you save and you set yourself up well, then you could take the final third of your life off. That's not in here. Who, like, yeah, and if you do it really well, you can go to a place in Arizona where other people are taking the final third of their life off too. And you can do stuff that doesn't impact the world at all, like golf. <laughs> Sorry, that was mean. Okay, I like golf. I played golf my whole life. So I did, but like, I, the final third, what do you, think about this. Like, if you did the whole math thing right now and you, like, Moses lived longer than we're probably gonna live. So if you went, like, age that you're expected to live in America and like multiply it out, the final third of your life was started like 56. What if everything God was doing in your life was just preparation for the moment you turned 56 and he really started to work in your life? Because most people think, if I haven't done anything by 56, I'm a failure. Let alone 66 or 76 or 80. But here's the thing about our God. He's not limited by your expectations. If God needs to give you 10 more years to do something great in your life, he can easily do that, no matter what age you are. He's like, oh, that guy's 100 and hasn't started walking with me yet. I'll give him 10 more years. Fine. Done. Easy. Simple. Not hard. Didn't break a sweat. Didn't even need to Google it. Right? He, like, God can do whatever he wants. And he, maybe, what if it's possible that your entire life thus far is just preparation for when you turn 56? And God's like, here we go. Let's start. Now let's go. I'm gonna, I could go on for a long time on that, but I'm not going to because I'm not 56. And some of you are like, you don't know anything. You still sleep through the night. You're right. I do. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. So Moses is out in the desert. And he looks, and there's a bush on fire in the desert. 
Probably not the most surprising thing Moses has ever seen. There's bushes in the desert, lots of them. Moses has also seen fire, not the most spectacular thing he's ever seen. But this fire is not spreading, which is probably what your concern would be if you were in a dry desert. You're like, uh-oh, if that bush is on fire, everything's going to be on fire in a minute. But it's not. And it's also not consuming the bush. The fire is just staying on the bush, whatever that means. So it gets Moses' attention. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Not only did God not go to where we would expect to find his next great leader, but the almighty creator God comes down to call the most influential leader of people in the history of the world, and he uses a bush on fire. Later in your Bible, God's going to send visions to people, and he's going to be like, like on a throne made out of gemstones. He's going to be big and magnificent and powerful. And when he speaks, people like fall on their faces and like fear and terror. Like, I don't know why he didn't do that, right? Why Moses didn't fall asleep and be like, oh my gosh, look at that, he's, I'm sorry. He doesn't. He uses this regular old bush with a regular thing such as fire. It's much more ordinary and much more humble than you'd probably expect. And you should probably pay attention to this habit God has of using ordinary, humble, less spectacular things than you would expect to do his work. Because it happens over and over and over and over, not only in this story, but in every story of every person I've ever talked to about walking with God. In this story, there was two midwives just doing their job. There was a mom who just had a baby, right? Then there was a king's daughter who was just taking a bath, and now there's an old guy in the desert. Like, that's, like this is not like groundbreaking stuff. Like, no iPhones made any of this happen, right? It was just regular old stuff. And think about what God is doing in this moment. Is he, is he trying to change the world in this moment? Is the fate of humanity resting on this burning bush? No, he's just trying to get Moses' attention. Literally, all God is trying to do right now is get Moses' attention. And it's much more humble and much more simple than you'd expect, right? And what happens is we come to church and we're like, I think God wants to do amazing things with me. And then all you hear is, there's a men's retreat coming up at the end of September. You're like, no, that's not it. I want something bigger. And God's like, okay, right? Or you, you're like, I have this real conviction that God wants to use my heart and like change me. And they're like, you go home and your wife tells you to do something. You're like, no, 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 God wants to change me. And your wife's like, I know, take out the trash. And you're like, no, 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 God wants to change me. And your kid's like, put down the phone. And you're like, no, 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 God wants to change me. And God's just trying to get our attention, right? It's always almost always much more humble and much more simple than you would expect. Less spectacular, less miraculous than we have in our minds. We're expecting visions and dreams and earth-shattering things. And God just sends you to a church that does small groups. And somebody says, hey, why don't you go to small group, which is starting this fall, and you should sign up. And if that guilts you into doing it, I will unapologetically take it, right? Lots of times as pastors, we get caught in this trap of talking about how amazing the life God has for you is, right? I'm a pastor, man, so I get it, right? We know our audience. 
So there's no shortage of people who love being told how amazing they are and how amazing the plans God has for their life are, right? Everybody's into that. Like, please tell me how great I am and how great God wants to use me again. Like, everybody's in on that. So we as pastors kind of get caught up in this happily ever after type of theology. Is like, God's going to do great things for you. God's going to use you. God's going to make a way where there was no way. God's going to do these amazing things. You're going to have peace and you're going to have joy and you're going to have purpose like you never knew before. And fulfillment like, but that's not where God starts with Moses. Look at where God starts with Moses. God's not so worried about using Moses to change the world right now. God's just trying to get Moses' attention. He's just like, hey, Moses, look over here. Look over here. Look at, I'm, do I have your attention, Moses? And I think that's where some of us get off track. We think we're on mission to change the world. And God's like, let's back up a few steps because I don't have your attention. We can get to all that amazing stuff later, but if I don't have your attention, then none of it matters. I have this suspicion that God has surprisingly little of the world's attention, e even in people who claim to be the people of God, like church people who go all the time or people like me who think they're doing God's work. I just think that he might actually have very little of our attention. I, I was thinking about this story that happened in our family. Sorry, I got something to lie. Uh, and my son, we have this rule in our family, OK? If you go outside and you see a bug, you're not allowed to kill it. All right, if there's a bug in the house, kill it. That's our house, right? But if there's a bug outside, that's his house. We don't kill bugs in their house. Like, you know, we make a few exceptions for like bees at picnics and spiders. If there's a spider on you, kill it, right? But other than that, like if it's a bug outside, like, because I just, I don't like, when my kid was like just killing everything it was moving, I was like, don't do that. That's not good. So anyway, <laughs> that's kind of the rule we have in our house. Outside, let the bug alone. So my, my son was walking down the sidewalk with a friend of his. And he looks down and sees this bug, a big one. And he's like, look at that bug. And the friend like doesn't even break stride. He's like, <laughs> keeps going. And my son was like, <laughs> right? Because the whole point of my son pointing out the bug was not to kill it. It was to draw attention to it. My son wanted to look at it, right? And it's harder to look at when it's on the bottom of someone's shoe, right? So, so somebody was like, look at the bug. And his friend heard, saw, and was like, I'll handle this. And Toby's like, no, no, that's not why. I drew your attention to that. And I think that happens so many times. Like when we come to church and we, we hear the word of God and God's like, look at this. And we're like, got it. And we think we solved the problem or we think we handled it or we just keep moving. Thanks, God. So we come with our agenda, our distraction, our idea. And God's like, over here, can I get your attention? And we're like, humble, got it. I'm humble, thanks. And we move on to our thing. And God's like, well, you, you, did, you didn't handle the thing. I got your attention for it all. I think that happens over and over. And I actually think it happens in the life of Moses. Is this the first time you think God tried to get Moses' attention? I actually don't think it is. I think last chapter, when Moses went up and got outside the palace and it says he saw the affliction of his people. I think that was God trying to get Moses' attention. And what was Moses' reaction in that moment? He's like, 
got it. Killed the Egyptian, right? Next. Now what? And God's like, no. And what's Moses' response this time? Here I am, God. Here I am, God. What is he saying? What does that mean? What is here I am, God? Like, is, is not a cry of power. This is not a cry of victory, right? There's no triumphant power ballad playing in the background. It's like, here I am, God. Like, that's not what's happening. He's walking in the desert. He sees it on fire. It calls him Moses, Moses. And there's a humility and a terror that we're going to find out later. He falls on his face. He says, here I am, God. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm listening. I'm listening. That's, that's, that's where it starts. Like literally everything else in the story, it's much humbler than you would expect. All that Moses has done here is given acknowledgement that he is listening. That's it. I'm listening, God. We don't have a superhero who just saw the bat signal here, right? This isn't Clark Kent's phone booth, right? He's not just like, I've been a hero this whole time. I was just waiting for you to see it, God. No, he's just like, I'm listening. That's it. When we get to the end of verse four, all that we have is an old guy who at 80 decided that he was going to say, I'm listening, God. That's where this story starts. Moses hasn't even decided. This is funny. He hasn't even decided if he's going to do what God says when he hears what God says. All he said so far is I'm listening. That's it, right? God's going to say some stuff. And Moses is like, no, nah, actually, that's a bad idea. Do we have another plan? Like, so we'll get there next week. <laughs> like, Moses isn't even going to listen to what God says, right? He's not going to agree with it. So right now, we haven't even got to that part where Moses is, like, deciding whether or not he's going to do what God says. He's just started by saying, here, I am. I'm listening. You have my attention, God. I was going to do the whole chapter this morning. And as I was studying, I felt like, what God wanted for our church was maybe not a bunch of people who thought they were called to do something for God, but maybe a bunch of people who just decided right now they were going to listen to God. So I'm actually gonna, I'm actually gonna back up a little bit and, and we're just gonna take um, a little longer than we would at the end of service. I'm just gonna stop right there, right? Because here's how I think when I read something like that. What could God do with a people who simply started with the idea, okay, God, you have my attention. I'm listening. Like, like what kind of power could be unleashed in our city if we just started with, I'm listening? Not like, I got it, God. I'm handled it. I squished the bug. Like, moving on. Thanks for pointing that out. Handled. On to the next thing. But like, oh, I'm listening. You have my attention. I kind of felt as I was studying this week, if just one person decided that today was going to be the day that they would listen to hear what God has to say to them, then that would be all worth it. Like if there's just one of you, there's like a hundred in here. If just one of you was like, you know what? After reading the scripture, I've never taken the time to just sit and say, hey, God, you have my attention. What would you like to say to me? And listen. So 
if one person does that, then that's all worth it for me, right? The rest of you can be like, man, I came to church and I only got a 25-minute Bible study. That was a waste. But if one person is like, God, here I am, then let's go. I'm, I'm going to leave it there because I really believe that's where it starts. Even before surrender, we're going to talk about surrender later next week when Moses actually has to make a decision. If he's going to do what God calls him to do, we're going to talk about obedience. We're going to talk about walking by faith. All of that stuff is coming. But let's not rush ahead and be like, yeah, when do we get to be on mission? Let's start by being people who listen. And what's crazy is next week, God is going to answer Moses in a way when, God, when <laughs> Moses is like, I'm listening. God's going to say something. And Moses is going to be like, really? That's what you wanted to say to me? Like, I said I was going to listen, and you told me that. So it's going to be great. So don't forget to come to the park next week, because it's going to be awesome. But that's next week. This week, let's be a people who give our attention and start with a simple idea. Here we are, God. We're listening. We're not starting with the rules we need to follow. We're not starting with the things we need to do. We're not starting with the prayers we need answered, the problems we need solved. We didn't come to church because we need God to do something for us. This isn't a supermarket. We're like, oh, I'm getting low on God. I better make it to church. Like, we came to God with the heart posture of 80-year-old Moses, not 40-year-old Moses. Here I am, God. I'm listening. Here we are, God. You have our attention. Anybody else want to do that with me this morning? I ended early. So I'm going to play two songs at the end. I told you earlier it was going to be one. It's going to be two. And I would encourage you right now, take that heart posture. Maybe pray on your own. Maybe just spend some time in silence before the Lord. Like, God, do I, have I given you my attention? Have you brought me to church this morning just to get my attention? Are there simpler and humbler ways that you've been trying to get my attention that I've been ignoring have I simply said to start this thing off, here I am, God. I'm listening, God. Because I believe if we start there, that is an incredibly powerful place for a heart to start in this thing God wants to do in your life. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, a people who have a lot going on. In America in 2022, there's a million different ways that we could be distracted. And so I pray that we would be a people right now who just listen, who just give you our attention. And Lord, if there are weights and burdens and struggles and frustrations that are clouding our minds, Lord. I pray that we would cast those burdens on you like your word says and that we would just give you our attention right now. Maybe it's been a long time since we just sat in silence before you, Lord. I pray that we would do that now. Lord, speak to our hearts as you're producing a people in this room, Lord. Produce a people who has given their attention to you, who listen to your voice, who make space to hear what you have to say to them.